0: Land tax, stamp duty, tenants. Sure, property is great, but there are easier ways to get your passive income, sometimes with franking credits. Through ETFs or exchange-traded funds, you can buy a basket of shares in many different companies in one trade. BetaShares offers Australia's broadest range of ETFs, including income-focused funds, which aim to provide yield-hungry investors with attractive income streams. Discover the BetaShares range of ETFs and how simple they can be to invest in by going to betashares.com.au. Read the relevant PDS and TMD on the website and consider if the fund is right for you. This is a podcast by The Rask Group. It's for educational purposes only. So please do not make a financial, legal, investment or taxation decision based on solely what you hear in this show. Welcome to the Australian Property Podcast. We're on a mission to be Australia's most trusted property podcast. I'm Owen Rask, founder of The Rask Group. I'm Pete Wardian, author and buyer's agent.
1: I'm Amy Linardi, and I am a buyer's agent.
0: I'm Chris Bates,
2: ex-financial planner and mortgage broker.
1: Together, we'll take you through every step of your property journey. From first home buyer to decades of property investing. G'day. Welcome to the Australian Property Podcast. Thanks for joining us today. This is our weekly Two Cent segment. We're on a mission to become Australia's most trusted property podcast. I'm Pete Wardgett and I'm here with Chris Bates. Good day, Chris. How's things?
2: Pete, life's good, mate. How are you? Um, I think you're in Melbourne, right? Grand
1: final weekend down there. Pretty chaotic, I'm sure. Yes, yeah, absolutely. Pumping down in Melbourne. So we did an event uh, together in Sydney last week. This week, uh, we've been down in Victoria. I did... Uh, the Rask Roadshow out in Wangaratta so uh, shout out to the people who came out to that regional event Uh, people actually came from all over the place from Horsham from Shepparton Melbourne Uh, so that was fantastic and uh, next week we're doing the final event the culmination of the Rask Roadshow in Sydney a couple of hundred uh, people coming along to that one so if you haven't got your ticket yet um, jump on there just $50 and uh, you're coming along to that one too I think Chris Yeah, Tuesday night. So if you're listening
2: to this now, it's Sunday morning uh, or maybe Sunday night, depending on when you're listening to it. But um, Tuesday night, absolutely, there'll be a whole team of us there. So can't wait to uh, meet any listeners. Um, What what else has been happening, Pete? How are you finding things at work and the, the general market sentiment?
1: Yeah, so I've actually been catching up with a few of my property coaching clients down in Melbourne at the moment. So yes, it's been a tumultuous year or so in terms of mortgage rates so people are just generally jostling uh, to get better uh, mortgages and mortgage rates and um, also just reworking their strategy for the year ahead because the landscape has changed quite a lot so I've just been doing quite a bit of that and otherwise um, kids are keeping me busy uh, Brisbane Lions fans so uh, it's absolutely rammed with people in Melbourne so uh, it's very absolutely bustling here for uh, public holiday long weekend and all of that and of course by the time this goes where, you'll know the results so uh, <laughs> yeah that's been keeping me busy how about yourself right just the
2: uh the same old rigmarole trying to stay healthy with two young kids and um got two four-year-old birthday parties this weekend going to a blueys concert going to a kite kite show and we're having some friends around on uh the monday long weekend so um, i'm jealous you can't get more, can't jealous get more of da- the Bluey. <laughs> yeah exactly you can't get more uh Family life and
1: uh, Bluey kites and
2: four-year-old birthday parties. So um, that's my weekend all planned. Uh, Could
1: be worse. Could be worse. I always had uh, to get dragged along to the play school events. I'd probably prefer Bluey, to be honest. But um, it is what it is. So uh, different festival.
2: Um, So I mean, lots happening at work as well. We're seeing a real, like urgency there. Like it's it's definitely a um, an appetite to make offers, and um, you know, it's still very strong. They're all still struggling with still um, limited options as well. They're all trying to make properties work a little bit like, you know, what are these compromises worth it at the current price? You know, there's there's usually a lot of compromises out there. So what are the three stories we're going to talk about this week, Pete?
1: So firstly, CoreLogic um, put out a research piece, unit shortage looming over the Aussie housing market, the dwelling deficit. Out to 2027, is forecast to be 175000 now by the NHFIC. Um, so that's an upgrade. So we previously thought there would be a shortage, but it's actually worse than expected. So we'll take a look at where and why that's the case. Secondly, uh, Melbourne house prices to jump 12% in 2025. That was an AFR piece. Uh, just quoting the latest forecast from KPMG. Um, and they're generally quite bullish all around the trap. So... Um, particularly for the capital city. So we'll just run through those forecasts and what's happening and why. And then thirdly, well, a Victorian-themed story. Granny flats in Victoria uh, will be allowed without uh, planning permits, by the sounds of it, an announcement by Dan Andrews. Also, there was a 7.5% tax announced, uh, proposed anyway, for short-stay leases. But then Dan Andrews subsequently resigned. So it was possibly a little bit up in the air because this stuff isn't actually legislated yet, Um, So, yeah, lots happening in Victoria at the moment, aside from the AFL. Um, So let's go through it, shall we? So firstly, the unit shortage losing or looming, I should say, over the Aussie housing market, CoreLogic reported. So, yeah, I guess in one sense, not really news that we'll have a shortage of dwellings given record population growth and uh, dwelling approvals now decade lows. But the housing deficit uh, projected out until 2027 has been upgraded quite dramatically uh, previously, we were expecting around 100,000. Now, the NHFIC is forecasting a housing deficit of 175,000 by 2027, um, particularly in places like Brisbane, Perth, Adelaide, some parts of Sydney and Melbourne, and about 60% of the deficit is expected to be in the unit market. So, i have got a, essentially a vacuum in unit supply, Chris.
2: Yeah, I think this is going to be a real issue. You know, we've already got ridiculous low vacancy rates, issues with homelessness. We've got issues with housing affordability. Um, we've got not many investors entering because of borrowing capacity issues. And, you know, Jarden also put out some research this week that showed the bill costs, you know, and how much they've gone up, which you've already spoken about in this podcast before, Pete. And, you know, how does the developer make this stack up? A, you've got to um, so you've got to be able to sell it at a certain price point to make certain profit um, and a certain profit margin. And, you know, a lot of developers are saying, I can't make this stack up. It's not worth the risk and I haven't got the money to take the risk anyway. I mean, Tim Gurner came out, I read, okay, just a snapshot. I think he's got 30 pieces of land. Um, I can't remember exactly, but maybe he's only working on 14 of them, right? 16 are just in land banked, um, And he does the high end, which is more likely to be the ones that are able to get the numbers to work because, um, you know, there's more money in that market and, and potentially uh, ways to make a profit. So I think it's a real problem. I think if you uh, developers can't build, even if there is, uh, unless prices go up. And so uh, how do people justify paying a lot more for something than current market prices? Um, it's it's a real tricky one. And and ultimately, there's just going to be very little supply coming on the market when we really need uh, now more than ever. Hence why there's all these other policies like Dan Andrews is bringing in, because There is a rental affordability crisis plus a housing affordability crisis plus a homelessness crisis all happening at the same time.
1: Yeah, so CoreLogic's analysis said with a median value of $637,000, that's the AFL siren going off on my iPad, (laughs) giving us the latest team updates, uh, around 30%. Uh, cheaper than capital city houses. Capital city units offer a significantly more affordable entry point for first home buyers as well as a lower uh, lower maintenance option for both investors and downsizers. So with 175,000 dwelling deficit expected over the next three or four years and about 60% of that in the unit market. Um, So CoreLogic said that with the cash rate potentially easing in 2024, Greater purchasing demand could fuel a stronger price boom in the unit market at this time due to the uh, relatively uh, low number of approved projects and also a temporary vacuum in new unit supply. I think, um, I mean, these things are very cyclical and there's a lot of debate uh, among economists about uh, whether developers um, should or would bring uh, supply to the market. But generally, people just don't build unless prices are going up significantly, Chris. I think there, there's one little wrinkle here. Um, the core logic talking about the cash rate potentially easing in 2024. Just one thing that's really changed over the past four or five weeks, as people would have seen, and I've definitely seen driving up and down the coast at the Rask Show, is the price of fuel has suddenly uh, jumped back up. So that's just putting a little bit of pressure back onto central banks to keep a half an eye on inflation and probably pushing out any potential rate cuts a bit further.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think we just have to see how that plays out. Fuel price is pretty volatile, right? And so um, maybe that sticks around and it creates issues. But I think this whole unit supply um, shortfall, is it takes years and years to solve. Hence why you know, a lot of the announcement around like building 1.2 million homes, well, that's great, but... Is it actually going to happen? You know, is it actually, and bank, this is actually going to be another, another catalyst as well for the banks to have to relax their lending. Uh, so, as soon as there's pressure on rates going back down, which maybe the fuel, you know, slows that down, but there'd be a pressure on APRA to, to step in and increase borrowing capacities because the only way the numbers stack up, the, the prices have to increase, or if prices are going to increase, if borrowing capacities go up, right? And, if and also, if prices don't increase, developers can't make a profit. So there's a real, you know, uh, frozen part to the market that we need to start. And whether the, uh, whether the government has to sit, sit the hand in their own pocket um, and start cutting taxes, I think that's another option they'll have to consider to get the – or giving incentives and um, subsidies to developers to start doing projects or maybe they have to just start building key worker housing and social housing, maybe they have to – I don't know. I just think there's going to be a big problem there. Um, Or maybe they step in, like Chris Minns is basically at Property Council this week and basically saying, look, we're going to override the councils. We're going to just rezone land that makes a lot of sense for developers to build because the feasibility stacks up um, and create that opportunity where the developer can make money just because that's going to create housing.
1: This is a a really good point you just made. Um, I think we saw with the home builder stimulus that you can actually build a house these days, well, three or four months, you can throw up a house. But actually to get medium density projects and apartments out of the ground, usually that's a two to three year process, which partly explains why the dwelling deficit is expected all the way out to 2027, especially for units. Because um, even if um, a project is approved today uh, to actually go through the um, site clearance, uh, site remediation, uh, get all the designs through, uh, get the construction up and running. You've got to make off-the-plan sales normally in Australia to actually get these things financed. Well, that process is really three years um, from start to finish. Which, So even if we got a big uplift in prices and uplift in approvals, which doesn't uh, seem to be happening just yet, well, even then, that would still push us out to 2027 before we get the next cycle of supply. Uh, but I think you're right, though. There's, there's definitely a push on at the state government level to try and get things happening again and uh, relaxing planning uh, restrictions might be one of the things we see. Uh, Definitely some uh, government intervention in terms of um, social housing or public housing, that could be another thing. Uh, Build to rent is another one, but yeah, as uh, as I say, it could be several years before we see uh, the the fruits of that coming through.
2: Yeah, and then we're also gonna see low listings, I believe, Um, maybe you got some investors selling, maybe there's a bit of turnover of listings coming right now. because people may be over leveraged in that sort of you know, core logic also released a, a higher than normal increase in listings that are selling with under three years of ownership. That's you know, a bit of a sign, but I don't think we're seeing this mass force selling this arrears. And um, particularly even if we get a bit more confidence around rates, you know, pausing or going down. Um, so you're going to see low listings and low, low levels of build. So people who want to enter the market, are going to be competing over a finite amount of properties and um Unfortunately, that means that the people who've got the biggest borrowing capacities are going to dominate the market. And so the higher income couples and families are basically going to force out um, because A, they've got the borrowing capacity and B, they've got the ability to stretch. Um, and so you're going to see this um, but find it really hard for parts of the market to enter over the next couple of years because prices are going to run on them, which is not the last thing they need. So, um, yeah, the, the t- tight supply, very new new builds, Um, and growing demand, confidence around you know rates and borrowing capacities.
1: Yep, and that feeds into our second story: Melbourne house prices to jump twelve percent in two thousand and twenty-five. This comes from a KPMG uh, forecast. Now, why do uh, why do uh, consulting firms, accounting firms, and economists all release home prices forecasts? We well, can debate why they do, but they do. It's something they have to do. Um, And it goes back to something that Chris and Veronica talk about in their full-law forecaster report because they're not always accurate by any means. Uh, But anyway, uh, KPMG uh, says that for Melbourne houses and units, Sydney houses and units, but actually gains forecast for all of the capital cities out to 2025 due to rising demand, falling interest rates and more foreign investment. Uh, which I think is a very valid point, um, we sort of saw the pathways for foreign capital were largely shut off for a couple of years. But um, seeing certainly in Sydney and Melbourne, there's a lot more international students around. Uh, and that tends to be one of the pathways for capital finding its way into the country. Um, and KPMG forecasts Melbourne house prices in 2025 to rise 12%, Sydney up 10%. I think um, one of the things that stood out here, Chris, when we were running through this, um, Hobart is predicted to post a 14% increase over that time period and Perth is set to rise nine, Canberra nine. Um, I don't know uh, if there's any reason for Hobart. They're right up one of the biggest performers and yet at the moment it seems to be one of the, the weakest markets. Um, I think their theory was that on the supply side, just a housing shortage is expected to persist uh, due to the pullback in construction activity. Um, this was a, a Finn review article I'm quoting here. Um, so does that make sense to you? It sounds a bit sounds a bit bullish to me. Yeah, I think on the listing side, Hobart's probably
2: one of the the weaker uh, markets in terms of growth, like increasing listings, and they're much higher than they were, you know, the last few years. And so inventory and, you know, the amount of properties on the market, you know, how many months of supply really matters. And so, if you've got a, new, a lot of uh, more listings than people buying then that's not great right because you get a, you know as buyers have choice they have less pressure to transact what really drives prices is when inventory the amount of uh, months of stock on the market really reduces because buyers go well there's not much on the market and it's turning over um, and so they get agitated and they get more likely to want to buy right so there's that urgency there and months tick over and they get buyer fatigue and that's been one of the things that supported prices the most last year is that, you know, even though prices were falling and people were, uh, rates were going up, stock didn't accumulate on the market. Um, anywhere near the levels of 2018, 2019, that was a lot of people were forced to sell in that downturn and there was a, like a spiraling effect was happening because people were like, oh, I've got to get out because prices keep falling. It was the credit crunch. There was no end in sight. Um And the market jumped back really strongly in 2019, even though there was a lot of stock on the market. And so coming into this sort of of bounce back has been very little stock on the market. And so I guess my thinking there is Hobart's not showing the right signs. I think my overall take on this article, though, is not so much what was in the article. It was the headline, and the headline was the front page of the AFR. And so it's not just doesn't matter it's KPMG. It doesn't really matter what it's saying. It's just saying it's getting space in the media right now but prices are going to start to rise and um that won't be the last one you know you'll start to see more and more forecasts of quite significant growth in the next few years and that will play into buyer sentiment um uh, because they'll start to say well that's what everyone's saying i'm, I'm and that the herd starts to believe that and the buyers will so that's my take on so You're going to start seeing these real positive because 15 20 percent growth is quite significant growth in these markets it's not you know three or four percent and um I wonder if it's going to continue, Pete.
1: It's the vibe, as they would say, in Victoria. Yes, and these are actually inflation-adjusted forecasts. So mm. if Melbourne is to do 12% out to June 2025, it, well, in nominal terms, it, I guess we live in a nominal world, that's 15% growth or thereabouts. Sydney, 10% plus inflation. I don't know about Hobart doing 14 but uh, Canberra, 9 Perth, 9 So, yeah, as you say, who really knows because these forecasts often prove to be inaccurate. But um, as you say, if uh, headlines are talking about ongoing price growth for the next 18, 21 months, that tends to have an impact, surprisingly. And, um, you know, people read uh, the front page of the paper and it's got that kind of uh, sort of uh, vibe about it, then it does actually uh, change sentiment on the ground a little bit. I think um, one of the, the points that KPMG made, high rental costs could also push renters to buy instead. Uh, even um, there's a sort of post-pandemic demand for more space, I think, as people are still working from home. And in particular, demand for, for, from foreign investors is now starting to pick up again, and that's expected to continue over the next couple of years. So a combination of all those factors and potentially uh, easing interest rates at some point, high population growth, uh, the May budget forecasting, well, 400,000 uh, growth this year and some, something similar next year. Look, it's, it's big numbers. And, um, yeah, as you say, starting to feed through into some slightly more positive or upbeat headlines. Yeah, absolutely. So
2: I think it's just going to be a watch this space and see if, um, yeah, we start to get more and more of these positive articles and uh, if that starts to really shift into sentiment, it's everyone, what's everyone believing. What's our sort of third story, Pete? Your mate, um Dan Andrews, you were pretty vocal at the uh, event last week that you. Uh, hey
1: Chatham House Rules. Uh, what what happens on tour stays on tour. Sure yeah. that
2: you are. He wasn't your favourite
1: person, um,
2: in the world out of seven billion people. So um, he's obviously left. Um, what's your take on um, what's happening down in the southern state?
1: Oh look, full disclosure. So uh, myself and my family were stuck overseas during the the lockdown period. So uh, we couldn't get back into the country for the best part of a year. So uh, when some of the more draconian Restrictions were in place. I was um, uh, quietly grumbling while I was stuck in London, but it is what it is. Uh, So, yes, um, so Dan Andrews last week made an announcement that second dwellings in Victoria under 60 square meters, uh, at least uh, from what what could be interpreted from his Facebook post, won't require a planning permit. There's also a 7.5% tax on short stay leases. So, that's intended. Uh, to try and bring some more of that Airbnb-type stock back into the long-term rental pool, which is, I think, a politically popular move. Uh, You do get the feeling with some of these policies, they're kind of knee-jerk policy reactions to the dwelling shortage and not really tackling the problem at the source. I think um, it's not going to get more houses built or dwellings built, uh, just discouraging investors. But the granny flat announcement is an interesting one. So um, yeah what would we see next potentially a boom or a mini boom in the building of granny flats maybe some impact on the rental market uh, we don't know the the actual terms of the policy yet it did seem to uh, uh, imply from some of the small print there that there's an expectation that people would rent out uh, the granny flats rather than just let family and friends stay Um so uh, that does have some uh, capital gains tax implications that people would need to think about uh, so hopefully it could take Some of the pressure off the rental market in Melbourne and Victoria, Chris.
2: Yeah, so we just had a did an episode with George Maurice. It won't be out yet, but um, he's a tax accountant. It's going to cover those issues around Airbnb, and um, hopefully, you guys enjoy that episode when it comes out.
1: George definitely tune in for that one. He knows his property tax inside out. He does, and it was a good
2: episode, if I can say so myself. But you're right. I think the the attack on Airbnb is a bit of a short. Uh, it's a short mindset excuse the pun there Um, but I think yeah seven and a half percent tax is quite hefty right you know if you're making a 50,000 a year putting 5,000 of that let's call it or you know 4,000 of that into the government rather than to your pocket do you just up your prices Um, do people leave the Airbnb uh, market altogether which is what they're hoping but then does that push the prices of other Airbnbs up I think it's better than date restrictions like a 90 i think uh as a byron are doing a 60 day restriction um and uh which is nothing right so a 60 days you can have it on airbnb i think that's not a great move that completely removes you from short-term letting um and so but you know a seven and a half percent tax if you have got something that's really profitable at least you can do it all the year round a lot of countries are doing you know, 100 day caps or 180 day caps and that's a bit silly because if you still rent it out for 180 days, what do you do for the other 180 days? Like, does that just be vacant? Um, so that's not solving the issue. So um, I think the ability to rent it out all year round, if you can still make it profitable under the tax, it it might be a good policy that works, but um, you know, I think uh, probably um, you know, Dan Andrews uses Airbnb around the world. He's probably a hypocrite at heart. He probably likes the use of Airbnb, but then um, likes to penalize it when it's in his own state. Um, the building, the granny flats, that's, that's, a bit risky for me i think you know just have this free for all in terms of building um and whether that's going to be great for the wake up of our suburbs and how people and the quality and, and things like that i think that's a bit dangerous having too much relaxed planning controls but um yeah I, I guess it's desperate times desperate measures
1: Yeah. so not not requiring a planning permit is different to not requiring a building permit so normally you'd, you'd require both um, to get a granny flat up and running uh, I I guess reading between the lines, most likely you'll still require the building permit, which is the equivalent in New South Wales would be a, a complying development certificate. So yeah. I, I think, from my understanding, anyway, although this is you know this is a Facebook post, it's not draft legislation just yet. Um, So you'd still need approval, just not the full Mm, council town planning uh, type applications. But, you know, I was just um, uh, driving around uh, country Victoria last couple of days and chatting to a few of the people. Um, I mean, there's some absolutely gigantic solar farms out there. And I was uh, chatting to uh, a few of the locals in Wangaratta and hearing that um, uh, quite often people with the workers and contractors, um, they're they're staying in some of this short-stay accommodation and often multiple people to a room, you know, paying a couple of hundred bucks a week each. And yes, for sure, the rental returns on that kind of property would be great. But I think people just need to be really cognizant of the risks, things like insurance, um, you know, if you've got substandard dwellings or you're not properly covered, uh, no amount of rental income is worth that kind of risk. Um, so, uh, yeah, look, in terms of the market, yeah, or well, the cities could get a bit busier, potentially, um, even more pressure on the cost of building and materials. Um, and uh, does it lower the living standards if you've got granny flats popping up all over the place, possibly? Um, but uh, as you said, it's desperate times and desperate measures at the moment. And uh, just looking at all kinds of measures to try and uh, uh, free up the rental market.
2: Yeah, you've got to take uh, you know, counter, um, intuitive sort of implications, right? So they're trying to put this tax on people who have got properties that they rent out full time. But I don't know if the legislation says if you rent it out part time, you rent out half your house or you rent it when you're on holidays, whether that you still have to pay the 7.5% tax. If you do, then are you going to more likely put your property uh, into the rental pool, the short term rental pool when you go on holidays? Um, No, because you've got to pay this tax now. So it's another disincentive, which could be the, you know, providing some, um, some real key worker, you know, people who are between rentals, like. That property could be available. So if anything, it's going to create more vacancy in people who are partially renting their place out at certain times during the year, which is another um, uh, thing that relieves pressure in the rental affordability crisis. you just got to be careful with these policies that, you know, they they sound great at first, but then what are all the unintended consequences that happen down the line? And um, obviously... They probably aren't thinking about these things. They're just trying to win some votes, and show we're doing something now for it. We're we're taxing Airbnbs, which is an easy one to target.
1: One of the things with the political cycle, of course, is that the politicians aren't necessarily around for all that long to see the the output of policy. I mean, uh, Andrews is one of the been one of the longest serving state premiers, but um, quite often it's not a long term thing. Now, one of the things he said in his uh, Facebook post. Um, an extra or second dwelling less than 60 square meters not requiring a permit would mean extra space as your family grows or somewhere to stay when the kids come to visit for the weekend so he's thinking not so much of the rental market uh, per se there but actually potentially people being able to expand their family without having to move at a time when supply is quite short so uh, potentially on at least on that side of things it might be a good thing for some families if it Saves them having to pay stamp duty and all the selling costs um, of moving on to another place.
2: Yeah, I think it's just a a highlighting to me, though, that this is becoming extremely political um, at the moment. And the state governments, the federal government, I think budgets, housing affordability, the rental crisis is going to be one of the number one issues, right? Going into this next election. And I think anything's on the table right now, things that wouldn't usually happen in a much more balanced market, there's going to be. Things whether it's pro development, whether it's attacking on Airbnb, whether it's you know opening up to foreign investment, you know to you know stimulate supply. Like there's going to be, I think, lots of uh, change to planning controls. So I think there's lots on the table right now, and um, it's a real uh, push behind the YIMBY movement. That's getting a lot of noise and uh, Committee of Sydney and um, etc. So watch this space. Lots going to change, but a lot of it's going to be not short-term solutions. They're going to be longer-term sort of political promises, I believe.
1: Indeed. There's a common thread really running through all three news stories this week. So firstly, the unit shortage looming over the Aussie housing market. Secondly, and related to that, house prices and unit prices to jump all the way through to June 2025. And then thirdly, um, a couple of new policies for Victoria. uh, Granny flats um, to be announced or to be built uh, more quickly with less planning Um, or fewer planning restrictions in the way and also uh, a tax on um, short-stay rental income. So I I guess the the common theme really, and you can see this just traveling around the country as I have been last few weeks, there's a lot of people here now. They can see that the return in international students has been massive. Um, The rental market is very tight. We haven't got enough housing. Uh, Actually, a lot of pressure just noticing um, just on everything really, uh, infrastructure uh, even in hospitality, getting busy again. Um, the music scene's pumping again. I've been chatting to some people this week. So, yeah, a common theme, really lots of people and not enough housing. And uh, I guess that's going to be something that goes on for the next, well, up to 2027, looking at the forecast.
2: Yeah. And I guess it's um, lots to cover this week and lots going to come out next week, Pete. So, um, if you're coming on Tuesday night and you're living in Sydney, we'd absolutely love for you to be part of the conversation. Um, Anything else we need to add, wrap up today, Pete?
1: I don't think so. It's time for me to uh, get down to the footy festival here. And uh, the kids want to get some names uh, stamped on the back of their shirts and all Guernseys, as they would say, in Victoria. And, um, yeah, just it's a beautiful weekend in Victoria. So uh, it's absolutely uh, party atmosphere down here. So, uh, yeah, looking forward to getting back into it. You can catch me on Pete Watching blog spot, which is my daily blog, or uh, you can catch me on Twitter at Pete Wargent if you're interested in property coaching or um, we do also buy properties in Brisbane. And Chris, if people want to give you a shout.
2: Jump out uh, the link in the show notes. If you're not a first-time listener, you've probably heard that a thousand times now. Um, we'd absolutely love to help. Um, and yeah, happy Sunday, everyone, and we'll have a good chat next week.
1: Yeah, we'll, uh, we'll do a QA and a next week as well. So send any yeah. questions. We haven't done one for a little while. So uh, anything you want us to cover, just uh, drop us a line and we'll be delighted to cover it. Um, enjoy the rest of the weekend, Chris. Chat soon. Thanks, Pete. Thanks
2: for tuning
0: in to the Australian Property Podcast.
1: If you love the show, why not subscribe or leave us a review on Apple or Spotify?
0: And if you want to work with me, Amy, Pete or Chris, you'll
1: find links in your podcast player to get in contact with us.
0: Thank you for listening to this episode of the Australian Property Podcast. We're huge advocates of getting the right advice at the right time from the right people. That's why it's important to understand that this podcast episode contained general financial information only. It is not designed to be specific or personalized to your financial, tax, or legal situation. With property, the check sizes are pretty big, so it's important you get advice from a licensed and trusted professional before acting on the information you hear in Rust Podcasts. Thanks again for listening.